Resolute Square. Welcome to The Zero Line, produced by Resolute Square. I'm Sergeant Sarah Ashton Cirillo of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, and every week we'll be bringing you inside Ukraine's war for liberty and liberation against the Russian enemy, while explaining how a victory by us on the battlefield isn't just vital for the Ukrainian people, but for the world as a whole. We will push back against the lies regarding this war for freedom and take you straight to the front lines of the fight for democracy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Zero Line. I'm Lisa Senecal, executive editor with Resolute Square, and I am here, as always, with Sarah Ashton Cirillo. Welcome, Sarah. Lisa, it's great to be here. And here today is Darien Province, Panama, where last time I was speaking to you, I was uh, in the U.S. Capitol, Washington, D.C., having just finished up some meetings with policymakers and elected officials. So a little bit has changed in the new year. We definitely want to get into why you are now there, because it, it does tie into the whole larger picture of the authoritarian march around the globe and where all of these zero lines for democracy are. But let's start with uh, the big picture for now. Um, A lot has happened since we were last here just two weeks ago. Um, While we were all celebrating New Year's Day, Ukraine was recognizing a national day of mourning because Russia had carried out its largest air assault since the war began. So as much as the focus has really shifted to Israel and Hamas, there is a hot war. The largest land war this you know last 60 years is happening. And uh, we've got to got to keep our eye on this. So can you give us some macro big picture? What is what is happening with the war in Ukraine and then big picture authoritarian march? Well, you mentioned autocracy, authoritarian, and, and part of, of what makes these, these dictators, these despots, successful is what they do is they, they have no ethics, no morals. They're basically mafia bosses. And in the case of Vladimir Putin, uh, while we are, and I'm still a member of the armed forces of Ukraine, uh, while we are fighting against him, when he senses weakness, when he senses uh, hesitation, these people strike just like mafia bosses do. And ultimately, after the final aid package was sent to the was sent to, by the United States to Ukraine from the Biden administration at the end of the year, it totaled about a quarter billion dollars, 250 million. As the Biden administration announced, there's no more money right now. Putin pounced. And so for three straight days, it was incessant terrorism and an incessant effort to restart the genocide machine. Because make no mistake about it, Vladimir Putin is attempting to genocide the Ukrainian people, and he's attempting to still continue to try and conquer Ukraine. And 22 months of full-scale war, almost 10 years of fighting uh, uh, against this this, this, uh, Russian war machine by the Ukrainian people, has shown that Russia is unable to conquer the Ukrainians. However, it doesn't mean that he can beat um, 
stopped from carrying out this terrorism. Because ultimately, whether you call Russia a terrorist state, whether you call Russia a mafia state, what we can't do is accept it as a member of the international community in good standing. And his terror attacks over the New Year's show that this is a man who only understands evil and he has to be dealt with the way all evil is dealt with, which is not to negotiate, but to defeat. Yeah, I I read and listened to far too many people over these past two weeks talking about how, you know, maybe we've reached a point that Ukraine needs to be figuring out how, you know, what it can live with for territorial losses and come to some kind of agreement with Putin um, so that the war can end and everything can just proceed peacefully and there will be no future problems if Ukraine is just willing to give up, not just its land, people live there. We're talking about sacrificing Ukrainian people to become Russian citizens against their will. But how insane is the idea that if you give a despot what he wants, that his reaction to that will be to not want anything more and not think he can get more. When the hell has appeasement of despots worked? And they're like, okay, well, that was truly all I wanted. And now we're good. I'm not going to invade Ukraine again, and I won't try to go any further. You brought up appeasement. Every time in not just modern history, but throughout the annals of history, you try to placate the dictator. They only look at it as the green light. It means go for more. We don't even have to go back to the days of Hitler. We don't have to go back to the days of, of, of fascism with Mussolini and others. We can look at Putin himself. When we didn't stop Putin in Georgia, he continued to try to take more of Georgia. When we didn't stop Putin in Chechnya, when when uh, during the first Chechen war, he was uh, stopped in his aims, he came back for more. With Ukraine, one deal after another was broken. Ultimately, it was Crimea, then it was the Donbass, and then it was all of eastern Ukraine, and then it was all of Ukraine. And they've announced over and over, and as the saying goes, when they tell you who they are, believe them, they say that they still want the initial goals of the full-scale invasion, which was the subjugation of the Ukrainian people, along with the genocide of those who they felt were undesirables. Placating Vladimir Putin is a non-starter. And tying in a little bit to what we're seeing down here uh, in South America, sorry, I'm, well, I'm on the... I'm on the border between North America and South America. But what we're seeing in Venezuela, another dictator, another despot who's propped up by Putin and the Iranian theocracy, Maduro, what does he do with all this chaos? Now he's going for Diana. Now he's looking to grab the oil. This is the same playbook, despot after despot after despot, authoritarian after authoritarian after authoritarian. There's no stopping them because they have to feed themselves. They have to feed their egos. They have to feed their desire to conquer. Because again, it's truly satanic in the way they treat their citizens. And when they treat their own citizens in a certain way, why would they refuse or or ever listen to the international community? Again, 
We can never appease, we can never placate, we can only defeat. This is the abusive partner on a macro scale. There is nothing you can do to appease an abuser. You can't, well, you know, if I just don't do this or I just don't do that, then I can, you know, keep from doing the things that set that person off. And they wanted me to change this way or that way. And if I just do those things, then I'm not going to get hit again. And that lasts long enough for the abuser to get what they want and get those concessions. And then we're right back into the abusive cycle again. And it amazes me that that people don't, really smart people who are talking about appeasement without calling it that, they don't seem to get it. And my God, how many times does history have to repeat itself before you recognize the the sadistic abuser when they're abusing? Stay, staying on that comparison, it's as though the person in the relationship is screaming out to their family members, screaming out to their friends, look what's happening to me. Am I imagining it? And the friends are like, you know, yeah, it's bad, but bruises are going to heal, put on some makeup. Uh, you know, they could be good economically, right? Because this is one of the arguments, hey, we need we need Russia allegedly for the uh, and energy uh, stability around the world. And then meanwhile, uh, everyone is talking behind their back about how bad the abuser is. The victim is still being beaten down, but people are smiling and coming up with reasons why uh, they should stay together. And ultimately, the only place that Vladimir Putin should be is either dead or in the Hague, because again, for abusers who go ahead and kill their victims, for abusers who go ahead and, and carry out these morbid crimes, and in this case, because we are scaling up, crimes against humanity, the kidnapping of children, human trafficking, this, this notion of torture, the disappearing of journalists, on and on and on, behavior that really is rendered, uh, and I'll say this, rendered the United Nations impotent. If anything that this war has shown is that the United Nations truly is is unable to carry out what its uh, initial um, doctrines were, for, for lack of a better term. And when we see this, then it leads countries like, leaves countries such as the United States, such as those in the European Union that are liberal democracies, uh, countries in Asia, such as Korea and Japan, to really step up individually. But then you're able to see what Russia does very well, which is carry out this hybrid warfare. And you said at the beginning of the show, uh, the zero line is is everywhere. And one of the reasons I'm down here is because the zero lines are everywhere. In the modern information age, which we're well into, when you're dealing with an enemy such as Russia and, and other despots that work together with Russia, what it means is that you're playing whack-a-mole and you're trying to find them wherever they could be. Did I ever think few days before Christmas 2023 that I would be in the jungles of Darien province, Panama, investigating Russia's weaponization of migration? No. However, again, when you're dealing with these people who carry out hybrid war to the level that they do, we have to be ready to research, report, and react in ways that we couldn't have fathomed in a liberal democracy. Because in the United States, we're not going to weaponize migration. 
we're not going to utilize in most cases. I know there's some things going on internally with the internal bustings and flights that, that would need to be addressed in a different episode. But to the scale that it's happening in order to destabilize another country and use it as a literal weapon of warfare and not just political stunts is something that makes us really have to step back and say, okay, they're playing at a level that we have to at least acknowledge exists, if not try to confront them at every point. Without confronting them, again, to tie up what we were just discussing, they will continue to try and push forward and absorb and grab and overrun everything in their path. Right. We, we've seen this weaponization of migration in other Eastern European countries as attempts to destabilize governments. And, um, and it's certainly happening in our hemisphere. It's amazing that you've gone down uh, south of the border to be able to get a firsthand look at what it is that's happening uh, down there with with not just um, we in the United States have a tendency to think all all the migration is just coming up from Central and South America, and it's not. It's a uh, that region of the world is being used as a conduit for this destabilizing migration. So can you talk a little bit about the makeup and and also the increase in volume that is happening? Twenty years ago, the Darien jungle was the Darien Gap. It's called the Darien Gap because there's a road going from Alaska to Argentina. It's basically the Inter-American Highway. Some people call it Highway 1. And it runs all the way down, but it stops in Panama, Darien province, because this jungle was there. It was considered impassable. There was areas that bridges would have to be built. There was a lot of environmental reasons. So there's about uh, uh, 100 miles or so that, that can't be passed. So it was for adventurers. Maybe it was for drug smugglers, but it was not this migration path. About five, six years ago, as migration started to pick up, People were, were, were coming across as Maduro in Venezuela, after Chavez died, needed to earn some money. He started to get into the human trafficking business with some of the cartels, some of the gangs. And they would go ahead and Venezuela became a hub to send them to Colombia. The, the gangs were controlling this area in Colombia. The gangs would get paid and basically guarantee the migrants We'll protect you on the Colombian side. You're not, you're not going to be ripped off. You're not going to be raped, uh, robbed, et cetera, but you're going to pay us exorbitant amounts of money. And then the exorbitant amounts of money were being split up between the different uh, uh, state and non-state actors. COVID comes, the border shuts down completely. We saw this really not just in the United States with, with some of uh, Trump's policies, but really even in a harsher way across all of Central and South America. Once the COVID restrictions lifted, it was a flood of people coming in. So some of the countries that uh, I've spoken to here in uh, some of the migrants from from different countries, many from China, many from the People's Republic of China, many from uh, the Caribbean, specifically Haiti, Africans, Senegal and elsewhere. Then you have uh, people coming in from the Middle East. You have uh, folks coming from Afghanistan, 
folks coming from uh, Iraq that, that are showing up here in the southern border. And ultimately, they're flying into, when I say southern border, I'm talking southern border of Panama, just to make that clear. And then they're being fast-tracked to the southern border of the United States. So what happens is they'll fly into these countries that have very open uh, visa policies. And just to the north of us, Nicaragua also. So what do Venezuela and Nicaragua have in common? They are basically propped up and supported by the theocracy in Iran and by Vladimir Putin. So they allow people to fly into these two countries, uh, very easy visa requirements, as long as you don't stay. Fly in and immediately get shipped to the north. Where's to the north? The, uh, many of these people are not asking, in fact, the vast majority are not asking for asylum or refugee status anywhere but the United States. And what jumped out to me, and, and I gave you a number earlier, so fiscal year 2022 uh, which led up to and encompassed part of the full-scale invasion from Russia into Ukraine. There was 30,000 Russians uh, coming up through the U.S. Uh, southern border. And then it jumped to 53,000 uh, Russians in fiscal year 23, with 43,000 coming through the southern border. So that raises the question. Now, let's get back to autocracy and the use of migration as a weapon. We saw the Russians do this in Finland. We saw them try to do it in the Baltic states. We saw them do it for sure with Syria. There's been many academic papers written about how Russia created uh, weaponization with Syrian migration. I covered it myself in 2015 uh, when I was embedded with, with Syrian refugees for five weeks. So ultimately, they have a history of it. We also know that the Cubans have a history of it. The Cubans went ahead and did this with Miami. Uh, if you look at Scarface, uh, it opens up with this montage of, of what was happening during the Mariel boat lift. So these, these actors who are truly enemies of the U.S., and make no mistake, Russia, Venezuela, Nicaragua, Cuba, Syria, all avowed enemies of the United States. Iran wants to wipe us off the map. We recognized about uh, over the last year that the Iranian Revolutionary Guard was making multiple trips to Venezuela and Nicaragua and Cuba. We know that the Russians were making multiple trips to these three uh, countries as well during the war. So as I get to Washington, D.C., while I was there to talk about democracy, while I was there to talk about reforms, the question that kept on coming back to me was uh, border security. I kept on hearing this, border security, border security. And then the light went off. Everyone's going down to Eagle Pass, Texas. Everyone's going down to McAllen. Everyone's going down to Nogales. But where's it really starting? And if it's really starting here, what does that mean, not just for Ukraine, but what does it mean for the United States as a whole? And when I got down here to Panama, I was immediately, uh, people were reaching out to me. They were giving me information saying, here, look here, look there. Sources were, were just, I'll put this, I'll say it this way. They were amazed that I was willing to fly down here. And when I flew down here, they were willing to show me around. What I saw was much, much worse than what I imagined because I was hoping that it would have been some sort of conspiracy. But the numbers are simply the numbers. We've had at least a dozen, if not more, uh, Russian security state uh, intelligence officers being apprehended at the southern border. We've had 43,000 Russians approach the southern border instead of trying to go ahead and just fly in or request uh, asylum elsewhere. When that's happening, you can't ignore it. 
why are the Russians willing to fly in, cross the Darien Gap in some cases, or fly into Mexico, live in the streets of Tijuana? Some of the stories that I'm, I'm getting, there was one deal where the Russians basically extorted the mayor of Tijuana and said, we have this whole encampment. We're not moving unless we get special treatment. The U.S. didn't know what to do with them. The Mexicans are like, the Russians are literally just, just building up here. So they took them to a closed border point uh, just to get them off the streets because the Russians were literally not willing to go and play by the rules of every other migrant and every other asylum seeker. This is not an attack on the notion of refugees. This is not an attack on the idea of asylum. This is not an attack on, on, on the United States or, or the Biden administration. It's an attack on Russia showing once again that the Russians will stoop to any level in order to destabilize their enemies. So they're taking advantage of those who truly are seeking asylum. They're taking advantage of those who are truly seeking refugee status. And they are flooding our country, flooding the United States. And when you jump from 30,000 to 50,000, and without getting too much into the specifics, it was an exponential increase from a couple of years before, exponential, that you see the pattern. And math doesn't lie, you know, and, and everyone tries to tell us, follow the math, follow the science. Well, here we are. Russians should not be flying into enemy countries, getting documents, being fast-tracked to the U.S. southern border, then extorting the Mexicans themselves in, in, in cases where they're refusing to get in line for uh, asylum like the laws are. And what does that do? It, it says clearly we need to get the funding for the U.S. southern border. We need to increase at the very least the ability to do background checks on these people trying to come into the United States, understand who they are. And that ties in directly to the funding for Ukraine. It makes sense to me now why U.S. border funding for the southern border and across the, we know that the Russians are coming in through Alaska as well. We, we, we have these cases too. Why it ties in directly to Ukraine's war for liberty and liberation. I'm so glad I came down here because I couldn't have understood the extent of it unless I was here in the jungle. I am 100% with you on this direct uh, connection between needing additional funding at the border and the case for funding Ukraine, where I'm not sure that the motivations are as connected and pure is when we start talking about U.S. politics, what what the motives are for trying to get additional border funding. I, I never hear Republicans talking about the absolute necessity of stopping Russian immigration across our southern border. That's not who they're talking about. Um, we we hear about black and brown people. And when when countries get singled out for sending people to the United States who are undesirables, those people are from predominantly black and brown nations. That ties back to when I was saying about people asking for asylum or refugee status. Ultimately, people are confounded on uh, some of the people in D.C. who challenged me with this, because ultimately this was not the narrative that they were hoping to hear about. 
The narrative that they want to hear about is simply something that ties into a nice box. Hey, we're being invaded. Well, guess what, guys? We are being invaded, but we're not being necessarily invaded. Now, the people of the different skin colors who, who are not Caucasian, who are not uh, you know, of European descent or of, of Russian descent, uh, are easy to single out. They are the ones being weaponized, though. The Russians are taking this crisis in these different countries. And don't get me wrong. Uh, Iran is sending Hezbollah over. I'll go ahead and I'm going to look you in the camera. And this is this is something that's also taking place. We know this because DHS themselves acknowledged this in 2019 in an internal memo. So while we do know that Iran is exporting literal terrorism, while we know that there's questionable practices by the Communist Party of China that has led to uh, many Chinese, the amount of Chinese that I see down here is astounding. We, we need to close the loopholes that allow for Iran, for, for, for China, if they're up to nefarious purposes, and to allow that, that allows for Russia to go ahead and weaponize these folks from, uh, from Afro-Caribbean nations, from Africa and elsewhere. And if they qualify for asylum, if they qualify for refugee status, then the United States, that's what we're here for. But when you have despots, whether it's uh, in Asia, whether it is in uh, the Middle East or the Russians themselves weaponizing it, that's what we need to call out. And so this, this idea that you can wrap it in a box, unfortunately, the truth is never so easy. Yes, the GOP was correct. We need to shut it down. We need to do this. But they weren't speaking as to why they were correct. They got to the right answer using the wrong formula. I hope that people hear what you're saying and that this becomes more part of the national conversation because it absolutely has to be. People need to understand um, why what is happening is happening. It's the only way that we're going to end up addressing it. And part of that is funding Ukraine. We need to pass the damn uh, funding because, the, uh, you know, kind of going back to where we started, Putin just carried out his largest air assault on the country since the war started. This is not somebody who is looking for peace or a way out of this or to pull back and he won't stop. He won't. He won't stop. And that's what makes your audience so valuable. And this is why I like speaking to you as often as we do, because your audience understands that despots and autocrats only want control and power. And this is the word we have to get out, especially as we now have entered 2024. This is the most pivotal year for democracy in our modern global times, probably since 1939. Yeah, it absolutely is. And and this perspective from you is so valuable. It's an important piece of what we all are going to need to educate ourselves about and be working tirelessly on for the next 11 months and beyond, because nothing is going to end with the 2024 election. We know it takes multiple cycles to get beyond authoritarian pushes in countries. So we're going to be we're going to be at it for a good long time to come until we know um, democracy is safe here and it needs to be safe in Ukraine as well. Where are we going to find you next week? I'll either still be here in Panama, but there is a chance I will be going to Mexico to try to engage with some of the Russians who are there attempting to enter the United States. 
and speak with them directly. Because with Speaker Johnson going to the southern border and so many congressmen speaking about it, and with the Mayorkas hearings scheduled to begin a week from today regarding his continued uh, service to the United States, I think that the next logical step before I have to get back to Ukraine is to literally track the path of, of some of these ruffians all the way to the northern Mexican border, southern U.S. border. Well, Sarah, thank you for being on multiple Zero Lines for Democracy for us um, and, and bringing a voice to this that nobody else is. Thank you for the platform, uh, Lisa. You know, again, the Resolute Square audience truly understands what's at stake and all we can ask for from the ground is for them, all who are listening, to talk to their family and friends and just shine light on freedom. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody, for joining us again this week. You can subscribe to this podcast. We're on all the platforms. You can subscribe to Resolute Square, uh, follow us on social media, follow Sarah on Twitter. Still can't make myself call it X at Sarah Ashton LV. I am uh, at LC Cynical. We have obviously at Resolute Square. Uh, follow us all over, help support what we're doing. and. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to The Zero Line, a podcast brought to you by Resolute Square. Resolute Square's mission is to inform, lead, and connect. And The Zero Line is one of the tools that followers of Resolute Square can use to fight back against tyranny while championing democracy. Please like and subscribe to The Zero Line wherever you podcast and follow us on Twitter at Resolute Square or visit ResoluteSquare.com Thanks once more for hanging out at the Zero Line.